0: Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck.
1: Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. We're going to be talking about a brand new film from the National Geographic Channel and Bloomberg Philanthropies called From the Ashes, and it talks about about everything you you need to know about the transition from a coal-fired economy to a clean energy economy and what is involved with the people the economics and the environmental impact of this transition. And our guests today are Michael Bonfiglio who was the director of this film and Marianne Hitt who is the director of the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign and I'm thrilled to have them both on Go Green Radio today. Michael, congratulations on your new film, From the Ashes. Um, You know, we really can't assume that all of our listeners are familiar with the role that coal has played in creating, you know, the modern society that we have today and the ways in which many of us are still consumers of coal, even if we don't know it. So I'd love for you to give us a little history lesson on the role of coal.
2: Well, thanks thanks so much for having me here, Jill. Um, Yeah, you, you know, coal has really been the one of the most important, uh, you know, sources of energy and sources of progress, um, on the planet for, for, you know, a couple of hundred years almost. Um, you know, it really, uh, powered the industrial revolution here in the U S, uh, coal, because we have an abundance of it, um, has been for, you know, for many years, it was the, uh, the main energy source, um, for, for driving, uh, you know, industry um, and for powering the country um, up until just a few years ago, um, more than half of our, our electricity generation in the country um, was powered by coal. Um, that's changing, and it's it's changing rapidly. But um, coal has been a, a really critical part of of uh, of the creation of our modern world. Um, and you know, given everything that's going on now and the controversies surrounding coal. You know, we really did take pains in the film to acknowledge that. You know, this is, uh, it, it's not inherently an evil thing. Um, you know, we, we've, we've reaped the benefits of this energy source for uh, many, many years, and, and we have the people who mined the coal and risked their lives um, and worked in the coal industry for generations um, to thank for so many of the things that we take for granted. You know, I think one of the things that I learned, um, or this film making the film made me think about more was, you know, when we turn on our light switch, or you know, it's summertime and we turn our air conditioner on, um, we don't really think very much about where that power comes from. Although I'm sure your listeners probably do more mm-hmm. than the average person, but um, but the uh, react the chain reaction of things that happens when you flip your light switch on and just enjoy the basic. Uh, modern conveniences of electricity that we all take for granted there's there 's a, a deep history there and there 's um, a lot of complex decision making um, so you know the, the idea of the film was we didn 't want to um, to denigrate the past um, we you know especially people particularly in Appal- <clears throat> in appalachia, the region where Coal has historically been mined from the greatest, although that's no longer true. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a, a bad cold, so bear with me. I apologize for how I sound.
1: Absolutely.
2: Um, you know, our, our point is more that this is, uh, has been a wonderful source of power, although complicated source of power mm-hmm. for many years, but the negatives of coal far outweigh the positives in 2017. Um, In the 1920s, it was a great source of energy, so we thought. Um, We didn't have solar and wind and hydro uh, technologies that we have today. But progress, uh, in in many ways, uh, the progress that coal brought to us um, and the prosperity that coal brought to us has allowed for technology to develop to allow us to move beyond coal.
1: And now we have alternatives that we didn't have in the past. And I think the film does a great job of not demonizing. You know the the people who have given so much to give us so much in terms of our societal advancements as a result of coal. Now, Marianne, the film does show various types of coal removal, Um, and I'd like to just spend a moment on each one because, you know, I'm a coal miner's daughter, so I know what underground, uh, you know, coal mining is all about, but there are other types of coal mining and there are different impacts on the workforce, on the communities around them, and the environment and I'd like for you to touch on that for a bit. Uh, talk to us about underground coal mining and its impact on folks.
3: Well, I think, uh, so uh, Jill, thank you very much for having me. And uh, hello, Michael, and hello to all your listeners. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I am the <clears throat> director of the Beyond Coal campaign at Sierra Club and was previously the director of a grassroots organization called Appalachian Voices, and I live in West Virginia. So I have been working on and connected to these these issues for many, many years. And I think, uh, you know, both uh, addressing all the pollution from coal and trying to find cleaner alternatives uh with this big incredible grassroots campaign i have the the privilege of leading so um so i th- expect most of your listeners when they think about coal mining they think of someone going underground in a in a tunnel with a helmet with a lamp on the front um and that is still a way we mine a lot of coal in appalachia in particular um it's also the most labor intensive form of coal mining and uh the industry has been Increasingly moving towards more surface mining and more mechanization uh, over the past 50 years, which uh, we we have heard a lot about the decline in in coal mining jobs in the last decade, but it actually started uh, many years ago with with this change of mining techniques and this mechanization in the industry.
1: Well, and speaking of mechanization, talk to us about open pit mining and mountaintop removal, because those are two very different prospects when we talk about the environmental impact of that type of mining. Absolutely. So the the big
3: uh, regions in this country where we get our coal are Appalachia, uh, the kind of Illinois Basin, so the Midwest, Illinois, Indiana, and then the Powder River Basin. And especially in the central and western part of the country, they use a lot of open pit mining because the, the... ground is relatively flat, and it really is just digging a giant pit into the ground, which is very devastating, and in particular to local water supplies, because you're interfering with the the groundwater, you're interfering with how the water is sort of flowing through the earth. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of these places, especially out west, are very dry, and so they can't really afford to lose their water. In the east, the technique is called mountaintop removal, where they are literally blowing up Uh, the mountain. They're blowing up a layer of rock until they get down to coal. They're taking the layer of coal out and then uh, continuing on down, and the rock that's left over, they dump in the valley. And there is a a huge amount of peer-reviewed health research that shows that this very devastating form of mining, which is wiping entire mountains off the map, which to me is kind of a moral crisis for <laughs> America uh, but it's also very devastating to the health of the people who live nearby and they have higher rates of birth defects and premature death and cancer from all the dust blowing around in the air uh, primarily from all these explosions so um it really is a it's a public health disaster uh for folks and uh it, you know if, if reclamation is done right it can help kind of heal the land but unfortunately oftentimes uh it, it is not done well
1: Mm -hmm. And, Michael, the film touches on a topic that we've heard a lot about from politicians on both sides of the aisle, and that's, quote-unquote, clean coal, carbon capture, and sequestration. Even President Obama was talking about this in 2010. Talk to us about what we now know about clean coal and maybe even give us a little bit of insight on the Kemper County, Mississippi situation.
2: Absolutely, and um, just just to, for a moment, if I may, just to build on what Marianne was saying about the sure. um, the the uh, uh, reclamation efforts. You know, I was actually when we were in in Montana, I, w- I was quite impressed with a lot of the, le- the reclamation work that was done, and it really does look great um, in certain areas. Um, and I do, we did meet people um, who seemed to really care about what they were doing in terms of you know returning. Uh, the land to the native vegetation and, and putting great care into it, but as Marianne said, the problem is the water. Um, mm-hmm. The surface can be reclaimed, and in many places they really are uh, to, to their credit. They, they're doing an excellent job, but the water is the problem, and that cannot be be reclaimed, um, as, as Marianne said. But it, but it was just uh, it, it was it was quite impressive um, from the, you know from the surface. It really does look good. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks that we spoke to in the Powder River Basin were were really proud of of the work that they had done. Um, And, uh, you know, I just wanted to credit them for that. Um, But, again, um, the damage to the water and the the aquifers is irreplaceable. Um, It is. Anyway, um, back to clean coal. Yeah, you know, actually, uh, interesting to be talking about this now, because just yesterday, um, the Kemper plant in Mississippi, um, which has uh, been sort of the poster child for this technology. And um, after many years of massive cost overruns and the billions and billions of dollars, um, not to mention scheduling, uh, the plant did finally go online. Um, but just yesterday in the news, uh, it was announced that they will no longer be doing this carbon capture and sequestration there. They won't be burning coal. They're going to convert it to natural gas, um, which was sort of an interesting uh, <clears throat> development. But, well, and, yeah, and
1: it kind sorry. of underscores the point that, you know, all of this promise of clean coal and, and the carbon sequestration that they were aiming for, it, it doesn't seem to be happening.
2: That's correct. Well, the technology, it is possible to do it. Um, it is possible um, to capture the carbon that is emitted from uh, coal-fired power plants. Um the problem is cost, and it, that's actually that's not the problem. It's one of the problems. In order to run the equipment, um, to, uh, to, to to the, the equipment that, that does the carbon capture and sequestration process, um, it takes 20 percent more coal to burn in order to run that <laughs> equipment. So the very
1: inefficient, bi- yep.
2: incredibly inefficient. not to mention the other byproducts of of coal pollution that are not the carbon, um, are increased. So from the outset, you already have an inefficient and dirty way to clean up the emissions. Gotcha.
1: Makes perfect Um, sense. We're going to take a quick commercial break, Michael, but when we come back, there's so much more to discuss on this new film, From the Ashes. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: your News. 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 voice counts. Call toll free 1-866-472-5787, one 472 5787 voiceamerica.com. world for more information about covanta energy visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com conservation starts
4: with us learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to our wild world with host ellie weiss our show centers on africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife ecology and ourselves
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Today, we're talking about a brand new documentary from the National Geographic Channel and Bloomberg Philanthropies called From the Ashes. And actually, you can check out their website um, by opening a new tab in your web browser and go to www.fromtheashesfilm.com. The film is actually able to be viewed for free on YouTube if you just want to go to YouTube and but from the ashes in the search bar, you can watch the whole film for free. Um, and it's it's amazing. It's really going to educate you on every aspect of what's going on with the coal industry, the history of coal um, and the people that are involved, not just the miners, but people whose health is impacted um, by the burning of coal. And we're going to get into that in just a moment, but I want to mention one other thing. And Marianne, this question goes to you. Even after a coal plant has been closed down, the hazards still remain. And we know this because of what happened with the fly ash um, situation in North Carolina when the Duke Energy Plant had a release of that fly ash uh, from their, you know, pond or receiving pool, whatever you, um, what the verbiage is. Uh, Talk to us about what happened in that instance. That was just back in 2014, I think. Absolutely. Uh, Your listeners probably, if they associate
3: some type of pollution with burning coal for electricity, they probably think of air pollution and smog. And uh, over the years, as we have done, uh, had technological advances and put pollution controls on on some coal-fired power plants, uh, like things called scrubbers, uh, and to be very clear, not all coal plants have that technology. There are Lots of coal plants uh, in this country still running uh, all over the place that do not have those modern air pollution controls. But even when they do, uh, there's... Mercury in coal there's arsenic there's lead there's cadmium there's all this all these dangerous compounds you don't want in your body uh, and if you take them out using some sort of kind of pollution control device they don't just disappear uh, instead of going into the air they end up in higher concentrations in this flowery substance that is left behind after you burn coal in a power plant and it's called coal ash and it is created in these massive volumes it's actually the second largest Waste stream in the United States after municipal garbage, and so it's it's producing these huge huge volumes. The power plants uh, have to have somewhere to put it, and up until a couple of years ago, there were no federal standards whatsoever for how it was disposed of, and so they literally dug these unlined pits in the ground, these huge holes in the ground, and just dumped it. And coal-fired power plants are always located next to water because they need water to run the the plant, Uh, and so these. Pits full of this ash containing heavy metals uh, are beside those streams and rivers that we count on for our drinking water. And so uh, occasionally, uh, because they're so poorly regulated and managed. Uh, there have been these catastrophic failures. Uh, there was one in Tennessee uh, about a decade ago in Kingston, Tennessee. A billion gallons uh, in that case is the largest toxic spill in, in the United States uh, at that point. And then the Dan River a couple of years later, another very iconic spill. And, and it's, um, you know, earlier we talked about this uh, marketing slogan, <laughs> as I think of it, a, a "quote-unquote" clean coal, that uh, the industry has applied to various different parts of trying to clean up coal. But uh, it's just not possible. Uh, from the if you live near a coal mine, if you live near a coal plant, uh, the the phrase "clean coal" is comes across as a pretty cynical one, given the you know if you're a person as is profiled in From the Ashes, who, you know, realizes too late, is told too late that you've got drinking water contaminated with dangerous compounds. Um, uh, there, you know, there are actually a thousand of these, of these sites all across the United States, a thousand of these coal ash dumps. Uh, and oftentimes people are living by them and as as you see in the film have no idea what they're living next to it just kind of seems like a pond and so so when you realize you've had that kind of a of betrayal of the public trust and failure to to protect our health it's um it's it actually is a pretty big public health crisis in a lot of communities
1: well, and in North Carolina, I mean, you know, we've seen what happened in Flint. I mean, I think people are starting to get wise to the fact that we can't take clean water, drinking water for granted. We've had all kinds of different types of water situations going on. But in North Carolina, these folks were drinking bottled water because why? What happened when that coal ash? Spilled over its banks.
3: Uh, the, well, in the film, you do hear a story of, of folks who have contaminated drinking water because they're they're living right next to one of these coal ash sites. And and then in the case of the Dan River spill in particular, you know there was I forget how many miles, eighty or so miles of of river uh, that were were affected by you know having many feet of this grave sludge, you know, fill, fill the river, you know, many feet deep. So, um, it, and, and the thing that I think is also important about that whole issue is it really is a failure of our kind of environmental safeguards. And that's one of the things that the coal industry has enjoyed that almost no other industry has enjoyed are these loopholes in our clean air and water standards. So, up until the Obama administration, there were no federal standards in place for how you dispose of coal ash, no federal standards in place for mercury uh, pollution from coal plants, no federal standard for toxic Water pollution from coal plants. No federal standard for carbon pollution from coal plants, which contributes to climate change. And coal plants are our biggest source of all of those things in this country. They're our biggest source of climate pollution, our biggest source of toxic water pollution, and biggest source of mercury pollution. And so, um, the, those the closing of those loopholes has been a very uh, long time incoming, and it is imperfect. And when it isn't done, it's regular people who pay the price. It's people like the folks in the film who are living with polluted water or polluted air.
1: Well, and, you know, I want to ask a follow-up to that, Marianne, because it brings us to this. I mean, part of the reason that coal, even just a few years ago, was 50% of our fuel for electricity generation is because it was cheap. Um, It was cheaper than solar, cheaper than wind, Um, but is part of that economic equation the fact that they weren't required to clean up their own mess? I mean, you know, if, if... Government resources, and that really means taxpayer resources, are applied to cleaning up messes like this. Um, would would coal be as cheap if the companies were expected to, uh, you know, deal with the whole life cycle of their product? Uh, absolutely not. I mean,
3: uh, when it comes to subsidies, one of the biggest subsidies we're giving coal is. Our health, you know, we're we're subsidizing coal with our hearts and our lungs and our on our medical our hospital bills and our emergency room visits. So, um, you know, if you're a parent of a child with asthma living next to a coal plant, if you um, are a person who is being affected by sea level rise associated with climate change, there are so many ways in which American taxpayers and regular families are basically subsidizing coal so they don't have to pay to clean up their mess. That is starting to change. That's a lot of the work of the Beyond Coal campaign that I direct has been working to close those loopholes, which you have to do one plant at a time, one state at a time. Um, and as a result of of that work in part, almost half the coal-fired power plants in the U.S. are uh, now slated to retire, the uh, another big factor that's driving that is that for the first time since the industrial revolution, wind and solar are now cheaper than coal, in most mm-hmm. parts of the country, wind in particular, and so coal is both finally being held to account and to to clean up its act, which is long overdue, and for the first time in history, the industry is facing. This competition from renewable energy, that uh, thanks to innovation and and you know sort of the all of the great entrepreneur, entrepreneurial activity that's happening in the clean energy sector, so coal is now facing this sort of double uh, double whammy of these these headwinds, um, and it's it's the you know the work that we have been doing one coal plant at a time to close those loopholes and force them to clean up their pollution, um, has uh, you know it it is it, it's, it's sometimes the. The, it doesn't make sense to keep operating a plant uh, if you actually are going gonna, gonna to clean up the pollution. It makes sense oftentimes to switch to something cleaner, which is the work that mm-hmm. we're doing.
1: Well, and Michael, to you, you know, the, the film does a great job of covering this aspect of coal and, and the alternatives that we have. Um, over the past few years, if we just listen to politicians from coal states, we might think that the, the demise of coal is due to EPA regulations, but there are actually other economic factors that the film touches on. One of the folks in the film, um, Carl Pope, says that the biggest change is that coal costs more than its competitors. Richard Martin, another one of the folks in the film, says that the main reason coal has been in decline is because of the... um, Insurgence of cheap natural gas into the market. And then Ethan Zindler of Bloomberg New Energy Finance says, if there's a war being waged on coal, the ones who are waging it most violently are those in the natural gas industry. Michael, I'd love for you to talk to us about what you came to understand about the economics of coal.
2: Yeah, well, I I think that um, there's sort of this, this, false argument that has been put forth by the industry and that has been sold to many members of the public that, you know, the EPA and the Obama administration was waging war on coal. And that was a false argument um, in every possible way. Uh, Coal is certainly uh, uh, on the downswing, um, but it's really for economic reasons. Um, Part of it, the the biggest part of it, is um, the abundance and uh, uh... cheapness of natural gas um, you know we, it, it would be for another show to talk about uh... natural gas being a viable alternative to coal um, i hope that natural gas is a bridge fuel to uh... renewables personally because natural gas has all of its own issues but it is cleaner burning than coal um, but uh... that is that that's the biggest reason is, is is that natural gas is is so abundant and is cheaper. Um, there are other economic factors that go into it. Um, if you look at what's happened in the, the Pacific Northwest, for example, you know where they used to get their power from coal-fired power plants um, in the Powder River Basin and surrounding area. Uh, people in and the constituents uh, in communities throughout that region have said, "We don't want." be burning coal, and that's largely due to the education and um, activism of people like Marianne in the Beyond Coal Movement and the Sierra Club is of educating people about the dangers of coal and the hidden costs of it that we're all paying for with our, our health. Um, and so the market has dried up, um, and sort of the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, was increased uh, regulations. Um, Actually, let let me just back up a little bit. The other work that the Sierra Club has been doing is filing these lawsuits across the country um, to hold coal-fired power plants accountable for uh, the pollution that they uh, have been creating and putting all of our our health at risk. Um, And in many cases, those suits have led to, um, you know, not the companies investing in cleaner technologies and trying to clean up their product but just saying okay we're going to shut down because we can't afford to do this um, to, to do it right not that there is a really right way to uh, mine and burn coal but to at least improve it to be up to any type of standard um, would be not cost effective and so what they've done is just shut down these plants um, but the economic factors are really what are encouraging about the, um, the downturn in coal um, for those because those of it's us who market driven. That. It is market-driven. And, and, and a lot and of the same
1: people who want, you know, who are talking about the war on coal are folks who, in every other instance, will talk about, well, let the market decide, right? Exactly. I mean, we hear a lot of the same arguments. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Michael and Marianne about the people involved, the human impact of coal. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com.
3: Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in today. I just want to give everybody out there a reminder that Go Green Radio is just a small part of a much bigger organization called the Go Green Initiative. It's a nonprofit organization that I started back in 2002. Um, We serve schools and help them do two things. First, conserve natural resources for future generations and second, protect children's health from environmental pollutants and we are working with over 35 500 schools in all 50 U.S. states and in 73 countries around the world. So if you'd like to get involved, everything we do for schools, all the training we provide is free. So get online at gogreeninitiative.org to find out more. We'd love to have you as a part of that. If you're just tuning in to today's episode of Go Green Radio, let me catch you up. We're discussing a brand new film that just came out this week from National Geographic Channel called From the Ashes. And it's a a really in-depth look at the history and the impact and the future of the coal industry and all of the different people and groups and, and stakeholder groups who are involved in it. Our guests today are Mary Ann Hitt, who's the director of the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign, and also the director of the film, uh, Michael Bonfiglio, who's... Uh, Gosh, his his resume is pretty crowded with amazing things. He's uh, the co-producer of the Emmy-nominated series, Oprah's Master Class. Some of his additional credits include Nine Days and Nights of Ed Sheeran. I'm such a fan. That's so great. And he's worked with some of the, the biggest luminaries in Hollywood, and we're so pleased to have you on, Michael, and congratulations on this new film, From the Ashes. You know, as a... You bet as a coal miner's daughter myself, um, I can remember when my dad and other miners went on strike over safety issues uh, at the mine. And a lot of people who use you know coal-fired electricity really don't understand the plight of the actual miners themselves. And in 2010 we all got a wake-up call um, when the Massey, incident happened and I'd like for you to just talk a little bit about what you learned in the making of this film about the life of a coal miner
2: absolutely well first of all um, you know one, I don't know if, if you saw the story today but there were just two uh, people killed in a, a coal-fired power plant explosion in Tampa just today um, oh, boy. so this is dangerous work um, it, uh, that's not mining it was a, at a, it was at a power plant but um, yeah there were two people killed and, and Four others injured, um, but the you would probably know more about the life of a coal miner than I would, as the daughter of one. But it is very backbreaking work. It is dangerous work. Um, there have been uh, there's a long history of uh, explosions and uh, people being killed um, in incidents. Not to mention black lung disease, which we all know about, um, that has taken many, many, many lives, um, and what has historically been the case is that most of the reasons for uh, these uh, horrible tragedies mm-hmm. has been negligence on the part of the mine owners and that's been a uh, you know a, a very complicated relationship through the from the beginning of, of the coal industry in America you know the workers have never been uh, treated with any kind of Respect or decency. The um, you know the jobs have paid a bit more. Um, they they uh, the, and which is the reason why people have, have gone into the mines for years. That that it's been it, especially in recent years less so in in the early early days. But um you know they've been good paying jobs. But the dangers are enormous. Um you know the people that I spoke with uh who were former miners um in in Appalachia anyway uh really seemed to enjoy the work they they took great pride in, in the work that they did and um i was sort of surprised as somebody who is not a coal miner and does not come from a coal mining family i'd always sort of looked at it as, as a pretty rough job but but I, I was really kind of you know surprised um by the enjoyment that um a lot of these folks said that they they got out of out of the work but um it is unbelievably dangerous. You know the uh, the, the the Massey Energy uh, mining disaster um, a few years ago. Um, I believe there were twenty seven people killed. Um, <laughs> somebody can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, but it, it's incredibly dangerous work, and there's there's a long history of not valuing the workers themselves within the industry. So um, it's it, it, it's it's not uh, an industry that we should really be um, thinking about. I, I, I'm losing my train of thought here. A, I apologize.
1: it's it's not one of those jobs. Let's put it this way: that um, your classic millennial is going to gravitate towards. You know, I mean, it's it's scary. It's dirty. It's dangerous. Um, the health impacts can be long term. Which brings me to the plight of retired coal miners. I mean, if in fact coal is on the downward side, as it looks like from all the economic factors, the environmental factors, um, we still have retired coal miners who were promised health care at the very least, if not a pension. And one of the things that the film highlights is that when some of the coal companies go bankrupt, the bankruptcy bankruptcy court judges are letting them off the hook when it comes to workers' benefits. And Marianne, I was hoping you might be able to talk about, you know, what's happening and and what we need to do to show some respect and and care for those who did this hard work of coal mining.
3: Absolutely. And all of the the danger and the sacrifice that Uh, is required to be a coal miner is a big part of the reason people are are so proud of doing that work. And I think why, as the country is moving away from coal, why you... um, why, uh, it may, as a West Virginian, I'm sure it might be puzzling to people outside of the region of why, why did folks seem to be holding on so tightly to this industry that is dangerous and polluting and in decline. And, and it, is, it is a lot of it is because of the pride of, of that sacrifice and of doing that hard and dangerous work to power America, something that we are very proud of in Appalachia and should be very proud of. Um, but part of the, the dark side of, of the way the companies have operated is that they have a long history of, of coming in, of doing doing mining, and uh, kind of running running themselves into the ground, into bankruptcy, and then going into bankruptcy proceedings where they shed their responsibilities to workers and also to clean up their mines. And so workers are left without their promised health care and pensions, and the communities are left with these polluted sites that aren't being properly cleaned up. And this is... Um, a more acute problem now because just last year, again, because um, we are making a profound shift away from coal in this country, and we can talk about uh, Trump's promises to bring it back, but uh, we're, they are not going to succeed uh, for a number of reasons. And so you have uh, the biggest coal companies in the world, Peabody most famously, but also Alpha Natural Resources and Arch Coal, all filing for bankruptcy within the past 18 Months. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're now, one of those companies is starting to emerge from bankruptcy, but it is, uh, I think, for folks on the ground, seeing these big iconic companies like Peabody file for bankruptcy has been a little bit of a wake up call. That uh, although Trump may say he's bringing coal back, we aren't building any new coal plants in this country, again, in part because of advocacy of, in large part because of advocacy of people on the ground in those places. Uh, Half the coal plants that we have are slated to retire. Again, uh, Michael mentioned some of the factors, but the other is people who are living in those communities next to those plants have been the driving force behind campaigns to retire them because they're the ones who have kids with asthma, who have polluted drinking water. So, So this move away from coal... There's no path back for it if you weren't building any new plants, if your existing ones are just getting older and continuing to retire and continuing to face all this grassroots pressure. And so that means these coal company bankruptcies seem more of an acute crisis rather than just another boom and bust, which I think people are used to in in coal communities. Um, This feels different this time to people uh, because it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like there's a path back.
1: Well, and speaking of that, the film shows uh, one promising initiative that's helping coal communities transition. Uh, it was called Coal Field Development. But, you know, a part of that success was federal funding. Talk to us about that initiative and, and if that could help some of these coal mining families and, and those who are dependent on these now closing coal plants and coal mines to, to transition to the new economy.
3: I love to talk about that. So Coalfield Development Corporation, is their story closes the movie, and it's wonderful and wonderfully told by Michael and his team. Um, And they are one of many, uh, but they're a a very inspiring example of people on the ground who are determined to find a path forward to diversify the economy in Appalachia. And in the case of Coalfield Development Corporation, it's a family of social enterprises, so they have a, a retraining displaced coal community folks and former miners to become solar installers, to do agriculture on reclaimed strip mines, to do construction. Uh, and it's a it's a great example of the kind of initiative and determination and ingenuity of people in Appalachia and um, it does not yet have the kind of support that it needs. So there was a a program during the Obama years called Power Plus that provided resources for diversifying uh, the economies in coal mining areas and also areas where power plants were retiring. Um, The future of that funding is very much in question. Uh, The Bloomberg Philanthropies has come in as part of this film and created a crowd rise matching fundraising campaign for a couple of those organizations, including Coalfield Development Corporation, to try to help fill that gap. Uh, uh, and in the last piece of good news, a bill just passed the House Committee last week called the Reclaim Act, that if it can get through the Congress, would put a billion dollars um, from the Abandoned Mine Lands Fund back into economic development in Appalachia. Awesome. So what we really need for those projects to get off the ground is f- is federal resources and also political leadership uh, to support them uh, rather than, frankly, pretending just the coal is going to come back.
1: Thanks, Marianne, for that. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, there's much more about the new film, From the Ashes, so don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation
4: starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. We're talking about a brand new film that's out by National Geographic Channel. It's called From the Ashes. And actually, you can see it for free right now. Um, If you've visit their website. Don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com, but open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.fromtheashesfilm.com. You can get information that includes not only how to view the film for free, but also an educational guide, some background materials, all kinds of good things to supplement um, your enjoyment of the film. It's a very well done piece. Um, Marianne, I want to start with you in this last segment because I think that the film does a great job of bringing current events, like things that are happening right now today, into focus as we discuss this this coal industry future. Um, you said something in the film uh, along these lines. You said the lion's share of what the U.S. put on the table in Paris, and this was for the Paris Accords, um, which then brought all the rest of the world together to sign the Paris Climate Agreement, was a commitment that we are going to slash carbon pollution from our biggest source, coal-fired power plants. But in March of 2017, the Trump administration took action regarding carbon emissions for power plants. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on what's happening with the Paris Accord now, after making this film and understanding you know, the role that coal plays in all of this. Bring us up to speed, Marianne. Well I'd love for Michael to speak to the the journey of starting this movie
3: uh, process two years ago before any of us knew this was going to happen and trying to finish the film in the middle of the chaos of Trump pulling out of the Paris Agreement, which, which they actually managed to capture in the film, which I found pretty remarkable. And uh, it, it's it's really, I'm sure all of your listeners are, if they're listening to Go Green Radio, they're probably mortified that the U.S. has left this agreement that every other, almost every other nation in the world has signed. Uh, and it's true that, uh, that our commitment to reduce carbon pollution from coal plants, called the Clean Power Plan, President Obama put forward, that was the centerpiece of our climate commitment in Paris. At the same time, uh, what has been driving the the U.S. decline in carbon pollution, which we are, we are bringing down our carbon pollution more than any other country in the world, that has been driven by the coal plant retirements that the Beyond Coal campaign is working towards uh, this big shift towards clean energy in the electric sector. And all of that is happening without the Clean Power Plan being in place. And so I want to give your listeners some hope that by continuing this work we're doing, we have half the coal plants almost in the United States announced to retire, Uh, lots of very polluting ones still out there. By continuing to do this work, continuing to go down this road, We can actually get uh, 60% of the way towards meeting the Paris Climate Agreement, and Sierra Club is one of many organizations, but we are very determined to go ahead and meet the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, You saw Michael Bloomberg pull together a coalition called We Are Still In in the day after Mm -hmm. Trump exited the Paris Agreement that 1,200 Governors, mayors, uh, CEOs have signed, pledging to meet the agreement, and that's a process that they're putting in place with the United Nations. So, 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 take heart, listeners. We are going to do everything we can to meet that target. But it is a big uh, black mark on our leadership in the world that we have have left that agreement, and so we're going to have to redouble all of our all of our efforts out there.
1: And you know, you bring up a great point, Marianne. I mean, there's a place for everybody at the table. To- If our listeners want to get involved in the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign, how do they do that?
3: We would love to have you. We are working in just about every state in the country, and the Sierra Club is operating in, in every state in the country. We have chapters, and we're a volunteer-driven organization. Uh, so you can find out more at sierraclub.org or beyondcoal.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Marianne Hitt. Um, but we are a volunteer-driven organization. That's, that's the bread and butter of the Sierra Club. And, and we have actually had hundreds of thousands of people join us since the election, and uh, the more the better
1: awesome well thank you for what you're doing I'm so proud of you and so proud of um, the efforts and the legacy that your efforts will have Michael you know we see all the political rhetoric at the national level on cable news when it comes to coal and and the the Paris climate agreement but your film makes a point of showing the important role that cities play in the decisions around coal and renewable energy choices I'd love for you to talk to us about that and what do you think that means for the individual of- individual citizen out there. Do they have more local control, more influence as a result of this? Give us your impression.
2: Yeah, you know, um, just to echo what Marianne said for a moment, you know, as as embarrassing and shameful as it is that we have a president like Trump who um, does not seem to believe in climate change or feel that the Paris Agreement is important, um, in some ways, I think that having such a, a horrible leader... Um, has galvanized individuals, and, um, there's hope in that. You know, um, whatever he says and does, it can't stop individuals, uh, from lobbying their local utilities to, uh, get off of coal and onto renewables. Um, municipalities are, really driving this because they make decisions about where they get their energy from. So on the local level is where the change is going to happen anyway. Um, It's also happening in the private sector. You know, most of the major corporations in the country have made various commitments uh, to um, transitioning to renewables, Uh, Apple, Google, Microsoft, you know, the, the major corporations. And they're doing that not only because they know that it's going to make economic sense, um in some cases they're doing it because they care about the planet and the future um and they're also doing it because their employees and customers are saying this is what we want from are uh, the, the, pl- the places that we buy things from and, and the, the, the corporations that we support. So it's happening on the private sector level. It's happening on the municipal level, um, and that's where it can trickle down to the individual. Um, you know, where I live in New York City, for example, um, it takes about 30 seconds to switch over to uh, Clean Choice Electric through the same uh, Con Edison as our local um uh, major utility provider and you go online and you can switch over and it takes no time and there are programs like that all over the country so despite the idiocy that's coming out of the white house and our leadership um, we are the ones who are going to be making the difference and you know this, this shouldn't be a political issue um, in the film we uh, went to a town in texas called georgetown which is a you know a in Texas, it's a outside of, between Austin and, and Dallas, and it's a very red county, a red town, in mm. a red state, and they've gone 100% renewable. And they did it for economic reasons. It's cheaper in the long run. People save money. And as a byproduct of that decision, it's cleaner and healthier. So there, it's a win-win for everybody. But I think that um, there is certainly hope um... because where the change is going to happen it is at the ground level it's not at the federal level the, the federal level can only slow down the change um, or speed it up if we had an administration that actually supported uh... sanity in terms of these policies but um, it, people can't lose heart because on the individual level on the local level on the municipal level we can make change we're um, coming out of of paris when trump said uh... You know, this is supposed to support Pittsburgh, not Paris, um, you know, despite the, the idiocy of, of assuming that the Paris Agreement something has something to do with Paris other than the fact that it was signed there. Um, <laughs> the mayor of Pittsburgh, Bill Peduto, came out and said, well, th- we're going to stick to the Paris Agreement here in Pittsburgh because we care about these issues and it makes sense. So there is, there is hope. Um, and I would just encourage people to not lose heart by the fact that uh, we have an embarrassment uh, in the Oval Office.
3: And I I could could just add uh, Ready for 100 is a Sierra Club campaign where people are pushing their cities to commit to 100% clean energy. So check out Ready for 100 if if what you just heard from Michael inspires you to do more. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. And I think the film does an incredible job of showing the humanity of this issue, whether you're from a city like Dallas, whether you're from a rural area in the Appalachian Mountains, um, there there's a human face to what is going on. And I think that helps bring more people to the table than fighting against, you know, big organizations, government agencies, some people are jacked by that, but most people um, get involved because their heart leads them there. And the film does a wonderful job of doing that. So go on YouTube, put From the Ashes in the search engine, check out this film. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.